Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast devoted to all things in and around the world of sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week on the podcast, Sporting Kansas City headed to Houston and came back with what has to be described as a disappointing draw, given how deep into stoppage time the equalizer came. It felt like SKC was trying the old smash and grab job and almost pulled it off, but honestly, with the exception of two Gotti Kinda sequences, wasn't really that fun to watch. Tactical corner this week will focus on counterpressing, which is one of the two things that Sporting Kansas City is elite at, according to one of uh, this podcast pair. How it has become a significant tenet of what uh, a number of high-level clubs use in their game model and how Sporting Kansas City employ it at a generally pretty high level. We will also spend some time talking about both U.S. national teams as they were in action this weekend. Cody, while it was frustrating to see Houston equalize (laughs) in the way they did at the time they did on Saturday night, it was a pretty unlucky sequence in the first place. Uh, It didn't seem really indicative of any systemic problem at play uh that said the one thing i came back to after the game and i think i mentioned this on the discord by the way we have a discord it's in the show notes we've got a number of members of the home and away community on the discord interacting with us so please feel free to jump on there and 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 interact with the rest of the group um but i did mention this on the discord after the game was that there was really not any substantive chance creation from sporting in this game at all They were not doing much going forward in this match, and it sort of seemed to allow Houston to really control the ball in Casey's defensive half, especially the last 40 minutes of the game. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that Sporting Kansas City uh, gave Houston way too much respect and way more respect than Houston deserved, frankly. And um, and I think that um, it. The frustrating thing for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people, was that this is a team um, that is um, to some degree built around um, uh, possessing the ball, and um, and they kind of uh, they kind of just didn't even seem to try to do that for long stretches in the second half, um, and and that's perplexing to me. I don't. Um, I, I mean, like if you part of the reason that you have. Uh, um, that you have possession as a, a major tenant of, of the team is to is to be able to dictate the way that the uh, that the game is flowing, uh, to be able to play defense through just not letting the other team have the ball, um, and uh, and in, in you know we. Sporting Kansas City failed to do either one of those things. Um, they they did not dictate the pace of play in the second half. Uh, they did not um, they did not defend by keeping the ball. Um, um, obviously, I mean they gave up goals, and um, it's it's just really frustrating. Um, and I um, I kind of suspect that it was part of the the uh, of the game model of the game plan. I um, I do kind of suspect that that was what Peter Vermey was what, was trying to do was trying to attempt to play sort of a more you know, play more against the ball and and uh, and and maybe play more of a counterattacking game. Although that didn't necessarily seem to be the case in the second half. Um, but um, but I, I don't think that it was um, I don't think that it was useful. I don't think that it plays to the team's uh, uh, strong, um, um, strong suits, and I think that they paid the price for it in the end because uh, that's a game that um, that that I think uh, under normal under under normal circumstances you would expect Sporting Kansas City to um, to um, gain three points, especially once um, once uh, they score, um, and so 
Um, it was, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just disappointing. It's, it's, we had talked last week about how it was, it was essentially, you know, we're, we're in like must win territory for every game now, if we want to even make the playoffs and, um, and to, to go lose to a team that, um, is, uh, you know, Houston's a good defensive team, but they are not. They didn't uh, lose. Let's they, be fair. Well, they did, you're, they right, did you're, right, you're right. You're right. You're right. If it's a draw that feels like a loss, you're right. Uh, yeah. um, but, but, um, I mean, to, to, um, to go down there and and to and to give up those two goals like the team did um, against an a, a, a an attack that is um, a very anemic attack and even below Sporting Kansas City Sporting Kansas City and a lot of uh, and a lot of attack metrics it's just it's just I don't know it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I mean I think it's fair for the disappointment to be there. I, I think your point is probably accurate about the fact that it was it, it appeared to be the game plan. Uh, we also had some conversation in the Discord after the after the game as to whether the game plan was good, whether Vermees managed the game state well. I think those two things can be different. Um, I do think that he managed the game state effectively. I don't think he made poor decisions regarding substitutions and when he used them and how he set up the the five four one late to just absorb. Um, I know it's not fun for fans to watch. I know I have friends of mine that do not like watching it at all, and they're like, "This is reductive, and it's you're just inviting pressure and." It's not good for the uh, the nerves um, for obvious reasons with this team, because they're just not very good at defending leads in this way. Um, but it appears to have been the strategy. Now, was that strategy good? I don't know. I, I think I mean, this is me reading a lot into the situation. But if you think about the last three games set they had and how absolutely smoked they were at the end of it. And the first of these three games is in Houston in 95-degree heat. They're going to be playing in Kansas City tomorrow night. We're recording this on Tuesday. So Kansas City tomorrow night, heat index is going to be well over 100 at kickoff. And then they have to go down to Austin. So that's a really rough go for those matches. And I, I have to believe that some of the tactics that are being employed here are related to leg saving. Let's be honest. Um, it, this, these are going to be difficult t- games to get through, and to get through is significant uh, fitness. And um, it, it appeared that they were not that interested in going forward aggressively because of that. I, I, again, I'm, I might be reading way too much into this situation, but it's the first time I've seen them set in this four-five-one mid-block and then not even counterattack out of it. Like that was a thing that you noted is that it seemed like they were absorbing to counter, but when they'd get a transition event, they would never really aggressively going forward. And again, it just seemed like they were trying to limit the amount of running that they were doing yeah. um, more than anything. And I, I don't know if that's a good idea or not. Like I said, up until the 98 and a half minute, <laughs> they had the lead of the game. Yeah. So, I, you know, someone could say that, that they made the right choice. I don't know that they had the chance creation necessary for them to really have two goals, to be completely honest. I think they were lucky to have two goals, and both of them were off of guide kind of touch of class moments that yeah. they were created. And otherwise, um, they really did nothing in this game. And, and in fairness, Houston didn't really either, with the exception of the one goal where they looked like 2011 Barcelona. Yeah. And then, um, and again, at, some of that is, well, so, some of that's Remy Voltaire. We'll get into that conversation here in a second. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, the, uh, the other one was just really unlucky. Um, otherwise, Houston had no significant chances other than Ache Ache and a free kick. 
And, uh, you know, those are not high quality chances. And one wouldn't expect them to. And I think that that's part of that's part of the issue that I have is that is that you're, you know, I mean, maybe maybe that's maybe that's a reason to you know go play more defensively is because is because Houston's not not an offensive juggernaut. They're not going to you're not expecting them to to really come down and put on a a, a quality attacking display, and so you're fine letting them have the ball. Um, but but I, to my earlier point, you're taking away like one of the main strengths of the team, and I, I would argue not only one of the main strengths, but one of the like one of the key driving forces. But 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 behind uh, how the squad is built right the squad is built around possessing the ball um, and controlling the game and controlling game tempo and if you're not going to do that then what the hell is the point I mean seriously like what 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 why are we doing this at all and and we uh, it's 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 you know well documented that that uh, a team that possesses the ball uh, works less and runs less um, than uh, yeah. a team who's chasing defensively, and so it just makes no sense to me. It's it's I I, I agree with you in terms of game states totally because you know I, I was actually really impressed with the the substitutes that were made and the um um but uh but the end result is the end result and you know and, and maybe in a vacuum it's fine and going down and getting a point from Houston is not that big of a deal but but context is important and uh, and. The the team does not play with any desperation, and desperation is kind of warranted at this point. I mean, it has to feel like points lost. I mean, Peter Vermees is the first person that will say, "I don't care about XG in a game or anything like that. I want to know did we accomplish what we set out to accomplish." And he has to be the first person to say that they did not. Yeah, like they, that that is not what happened. Um, is it to is anyone to blame for the late equalizer? I really don't think so. I think it was just a really unfortunate sequence of events that happened sometime. But I think you know your point is valid. If they're not absorbing pressure for forty minutes, that perhaps they're in a little bit better place and they're not as scrambly trying to make sure Houston doesn't get on goal. Um, one of the things that was noted by the guys that I was watching the game with a little bit was that when they would get possession later in the game there when they were absorbing a lot, there was not a whole lot of intent to try to possess the ball in the opponent's half at all. Right. And, and that's and that's it, one of the things the team does well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it, to, to your earlier point, defending with the ball is what they do. In fact, the reason that they defend with the ball is because they don't really have the best defenders. No, they don't have, they don't, they don't have good defenders. They don't have good tacklers and they don't, they don't have, and I mean, let's outside of Rosero, they don't have anyone that clears aerials. Like let's be honest, they're just soft. Right. And, and, and that's my main, my main problem with the second goal is it's just soft, right? It's just people not, uh, not making tackles and just playing too far off of, of, of their marks and just nobody just stepping up and, 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 you know, <laughs> and making a tackle because well, that's I mean, Ca- Cassiano slips. I think he's there. Right, and makes the tackle if he doesn't slip. Right, I think but, the, the but, issue, but the issue, but nobody, they, but there's no recognition of that. Nobody, you know, you you have two other center backs, you know, to guard nominally one well, player, and well, neither one of them step yeah. forward. And, hundred minutes in, though, at that point too, which I think is part. And of Jake the problem, Davis is but. is running on the outside of his man instead of on the inside of his yeah. man. It makes it's just like sloppy and and. Uh, it's you can tell. I mean, I'm really frustrated with it because it's a, yeah. it's just silliness, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it, I watched that whole sequence again. It's just really unfortunate how the freaking ball like bounces between Ferreira's yeah. legs. 
Like it totally screens it from Rosero to even see what's going on. So it looks like he's ball watching and not paying attention when the reality is he he's expecting Ferreira to touch it there. And it right. somehow like squirts between his crotch somehow. And it, it's just it, a lot. But, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not making excuses. What I'm saying is, is that it, it, when you take a team that is not that great defensively, especially in um, shutting down teams attacks like that's not what they do um this is not nashville right Right. this is we this team plays differently and in mls and and this is any club but specifically in mls where you're under the same salary cap rules and whatnot you typically have to build a team and an idea for a game model Mm -hmm. um my goal next week for the last podcast i do before i leave for new zealand is to spend some time talking about building game models. oh you're going to, to new zealand i had yeah, no idea yeah. i had to throw a little humble brag in there sorry <laughs> anyway um this was is to talk about ga- uh, building game models and how they're used because you and i have had this conversation i got to participate in a really cool conversation with bobby warshaw and a couple other folks that are on the analytics sides of some clubs about how game models are used and i i think it's really fascinating how that how that thought process goes but Peter Vermees has a fairly defined game model, and he deviated from it fairly significantly. And unfortunately, because of the way that MLS works, it you generally build a roster for your game model, and you instill it at the beginning of a season. And we've often asked on this podcast for the club to be a little bit more flexible in how they play soccer. Well, this is what happens when you are very inflexible and you have a very specific model and it's really built around the personnel, You're specifically the, the starting 11 personnel of this team, right? right? Maybe starting right. 13, maybe top 13 mm-hmm. players, is that when those players are on the field trying to execute a completely different game philosophy, it it doesn't work. Yeah. It, 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 like I said, I think they almost got away with it, but it wasn't because they executed anything significantly well. It's because yeah. they got lucky. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and the, they were playing and they were playing a team that's not not a good great attacking team. If if they did this shit, if they do this shit against RSL on Wednesday, they're going to get boat raced. Yeah, like if they they're play not like this. I mean, they won't because because they're going to be at home and and they'll have uh, hopefully they'll have uh, either either or Gutierrez or uh, Rodoya back. Look, if Rodoya is playing, neither one of those goals happen. Like I, no one will yeah. ever convince me otherwise. Because okay, well, he, let's talk about that because Remy Voltaire, I, I don't know what the hell he's doing on the on the on the goal sequence. Um, Ache Ache basically just strolls to the top of the 18, hits the give and go, runs behind, and then, you know, has hits the beautiful, has the nice square ball. Mm-hmm. Um, Fantas gets Gotti Kindred in the process, the back heel between the legs. But it was really Ache Ache making this, making this go. Okay, of course. This guy played for a decade for Atletico Madrid. This guy's a really fucking good soccer player. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe when you see him coming towards you with the ball, you should close him down. Yeah. Like not just let's stand there and let him stroll up and pick out a pass. Like, I don't know what the, what the hell Voltaire is doing. You, you, I texted you with this when I was rewatching it and you were like, this is what happens when guys play too much. Like there's yeah. mental fatigue that goes along yep. with it. And I, it's a valid point. I mean, I, I can't, I can't explain it, but this is also to your exact point. No way, no way. Nemanja Radia lets lets that guy just stroll to the top of the eighteen with the ball. Absolutely yeah. not. I think all 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 night, uh, Houston had a lot of success coming down the center of the pitch, right, right towards um, 
you know, when they attacked, they weren't they weren't attacking like from super wide positions. They were they were coming in centrally, and and the reason why is because uh, it's because Rodoya wasn't there, and and you know I I think Voltaire is a fine player, but um, but you know like a couple different things. One, he he you and I have discussed that he shades too far to the left. Two, he gets caught upfield uh, too high. I think which is what happened on the on the second goal, even though he was kind of playing a different role in that. Um, in that in that uh, particular instance, and then and then the third thing is the thing that you just um, mentioned, and that's that. I mean, the dude has played massive minutes this uh, this season. He never gets a break, um, and I understand that that he's like you know he he is uh, he he runs all the time and he never tires out and he's just always always good to go. But but that's not the whole story, right? Like like physical fatigue is only part of of um, of what uh, coaches and players have to worry about and and that sort of mental fatigue especially when you're you know moving around and playing in different positions that have different priorities and different responsibilities that mental fatigue is real and you know I I think that that plays a part in um, in that goal and um, I think it's again a case of a player um, not being put in uh, a position to succeed by the coach. Well, it's the fact that there's no other option at that position when Roddy is down, right? Like, I think that's the main issue, really, more than anything, is that they, I think they had their eyes on Roddy last year in the summer, and yeah. they weren't, they just weren't able to get the signature done because MLS's stupid roster rules that they since that they since fixed, of course. Um, <laughs> But uh, they, 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 otherwise he would have been in last year, and I think they probably would have had a better read, honestly, on who the backup was. Do, does Roselle stick around? Does Jose Maori stick around? You know what I mean? Like all the yeah. different things that happened there. So, so at this point, you've had, you know, three, four, five years uh, of, of Felipe uh, Hernandez as a uh, – you know what a role player uh he's he's too old to really to be a development player at this point um, 25 right we know we know that he's played that position for the twos um he needs i don't understand why uh he wouldn't be the deputy like at this point in time given all the struggles or, this team has had to to find that position have him devote everything into learning and playing that position and get him reps. Uh, he didn't uh, even with, make the trip, Cody. He I know, I know. Houston. It's, I know, I know. Danny I know Flores did. Yeah, they, he didn't see the field and neither did Cam Duke, which we knew was going to be the case. But right. my, 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 my point is that, like, there are even if you take into consideration all the roster issues and and um, and roster restrictions that the team has to face, this has been like a recurring issue, and and it's an it's an issue that um, if you get creative and um, if you have a little bit of foresight, I think that there are uh, internal solutions that you could use to address it. I don't believe that Vermees thinks that Hernandez is a defensive midfielder. I just don't I, believe that he does not. Obviously. That at all. Well, typically, <laughs> he actually prefers to employ Hernandez as the 10 more yeah. than anything. Um, I mean, he, he has good he has good attacking numbers. I mean, he, he should. He's, so. he's probably the most like – I mean, he's like a hybrid of Tommy and Kinda. So I sort yeah. of understand – I mean, not at their level, not anywhere close right. to their level. Please don't take my words out of, out of context. But he is – that is his skill set is kind of like that 
Um, yeah. Likes to go, likes to go to goal with the ball at his feet, and do, but does possess some combination ability, right? But he's obviously he he's obviously not good enough to be the number two um, um, consideration at either one of those spots. And so no. if that's if especially that's the case, if they if can sign, if if, especially if they can sign Felipe Gutierrez for right. one hundred and sixty-five. So grand. so so if you're if you're intentionally going out and signing players that are in front of him, um, what what I, I again, what's the point, right? What why are we why are we devoting a roster spot to that player? Um, well, I don't and, think, yeah, and, and they re-signed him in the offseason. Like, he's on another couple yeah. of years, right? Great. And I but that, that's what, I think this is the point that you and I have made on this podcast for two years, which is we don't seem to figure out a way to enable some of these young players who are on lower uh, compensation. There's not a whole lot of interest. The coach is not interested in playing these players that the sporting director has signed. And again, I'm I'm saying this with my tongue in my cheek because, of course, they're the same fucking guy. But the, the, there's just seems to be like this disconnect between what Vermees, the chief soccer officer, sees in his roster versus what Peter Vermees, the head coach, is willing to employ on the field. They're just completely different. And I, it, there's been this disconnect for a while. Um, and it, it's it's problematic when we get into these types of things where sporting has to play three games and plus 100 degree heat index in seven days Yep. and they can't rotate because their depth is useless. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so let's say that, you know, um, uh, Vermes thought that he had solved the problem by having, um, by having Rodoya and having Voltaire as the backup um, that, which, you know, turns out to be a problem when, when Rodoya uh, gets suspended, that's, but the problem that's is, fine. hold on a second. But, that, but that's Va- fine Va- if Voltaire's the backup. But if he right. plays every other fucking that's, game as an eight, right? <laughs> right. That's not but a that's my that that's my other point is that is that okay? But Voltaire's not getting minutes, uh, not not getting minutes on the bench. He's not getting rested at all. Uh, when when uh, supposedly you know that's a position that uh, that Hernandez can play. Right. Um, or uh, you have that's that's like right at this point, one of the deepest positions on the team. And so why why aren't we giving Voltaire a rest? It doesn't have, even have to be a whole game. I mean, I mean, Voltaire could have come on as the six at at at, you know, half uh, uh, of this game. Um, and um, and I thought maybe maybe had a, a better um, a better you know record of success with it so uh, it i it's a uh, it's it's a squad mismanagement um i think um from a couple of different perspectives or why couldn't why couldn't you bring raj on to play that position well so he kind of was like at the at the end at, at least the end, uh, when at, they're in that 541 he's right. in a double pivot yeah right. but that, right. but i mean i'm talking about when they subbed him on you subbed yeah. Voltaire off then I mean, I, I think we've seen that once or twice in the entire time that that Raj has been on the team. Him playing like actually sort of that number six position. I don't know why you're he doesn't play. If, it. If, if if you want a player who you trust, who is a proven ball winner, yeah, that's only got to play a half an hour. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, I like, know. Believe me, I know. Yeah, I'm totally with you, 100. percent Playing at that position, just have him sit in front of the center backs and destroy, right? Just have him win balls and make tackles. Like that's actually like that's what the team needed, right? They just needed right. they just needed a guy to sit in front of the center backs and they, just sweep they needed, up. They desperately needed some midfield control. They had yeah. zero in this yeah. game, and Raj would have given them some. They had zero. Position. They had zero midfield control when they're playing three versus two. It's so yeah. frustrating. Yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, we're, we're ranting a little bit here. The kvetching has 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 reached a, a fever pitch. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some fun stuff. Gotti Kinda was great again. He's just he's the, he's been the best player on the team for about a month. Um, I, I know that you were talking about before we started recording how Alan Polito has um, you know elevated this team's raised this team's ceiling a, a fair bit from where it was when we were in the doldrums of the first you know ten or twelve games of the season. How high has it raised the ceiling uh, to be determined? I think that's an incomplete as far as where it is. I don't think it's as high as maybe a lot of us want to think it is. Yeah. But um, who has really um, enabled Alan Polito has been Gadi Kinda. We taught, we spent a lot of time talking about him last week, so I'm not going to regurgitate all of that. But he was very good again. Um, obviously, the back heel flick between the legs to just send Polito on goal was chef's kiss i will also say andre ufantas did his andre ufantas thing which is stepping into the back of somebody to try to press to press mm-hmm. him i have gotten on him about this because he doesn't get hit the success rate i would always like with this and sometimes he allows counterattacks. um i think with rosero i'm less concerned about it because rosero has the the back the the be able the ability to cover him in those circumstances when he had castellanos or volador next to him and did this it was really problematic but um Fantas does read the game very well, as we know, and mm-hmm. he reads this, presses back, and and um, gets the ball right back to Kinda, and then it's just a quick movement, and it's just really pretty stuff from the team, and he, he, he just you're just reminded how good of a soccer player he is, man. Yeah. Like for him to see this ball come in and then just go just back heel between the legs, right into Polito's path, like perfectly plays him in. It was. Uh, I mean, until Houston Barcelona us at the at the end of the half, it 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 felt good. Yeah, I agree. He's amazing. And then, and then he just abuses Artur to draw the penalty. Yeah, just just abused him. <laughs> <laughs> Shopped him a couple times, and then just yeah. made it. It just made him so upset that he fouled him. And yeah, and then for some reason gets Sebastian Ferreira so mad at him for faking a restart <laughs> that he loses his mind. This is crazy, man. <laughs> I've Have never seen, seen anything that? like that. Like, no, never, ever, ever. All teams are just watching it, going, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think Nima Sagafi was so confused, he didn't know what to do. He was just yeah. like, "I guess this is a yellow car because it's a shove. It's not um, enough of a violent <laughs> conduct thing because he didn't hit him in the face. I, I don't know, but." Um, it was obviously a, a terrible call by the referee to give a yellow there. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's a more like clear cut red card I've ever seen. It didn't have anything to do with how the game finished out. The, the Houston had already scored. I don't think if there's a red card given there, sporting all of a sudden go right down no. the field and score that they, they weren't no. in any of any, they were, they had not been near Houston's goal in 40 minutes. Um, in fact, they did not register a shot on goal after the penalty. Yeah, that's uh, that's not acceptable. Well, not, honestly, not on goal. They did not register a shot. Yeah. After the penalty, so that should tell you everything about what the game state was and how the game model was being managed. But um, yeah. yeah, it was wild to me. And obviously, Ferreira has been suspended by Disco today, as we all sort of expected he would. Um, the the verbiage coming from them was, I thought, interesting because it was, you know, they they were very clear about the fact that in order for this to be a suspension, the dis- the disciplinary committee has to be unanimous that it was a um it should have been a red card and it was a failure by the referees etc cetera, etc cetera. and so I, I thought it was interesting that they were very clear that it, ha- it was a unanimous decision to uh suspend him for a game i 
this doesn't seem like a hard one. I just don't. No. Sometimes I wonder what goes through referees' heads in this circumstance. Because Sagafi's not a bad ref. He's not. He's not really one of the bad ones in my right. experience. Um, there are some bad ones, but uh, and a lot of them, a lot of the bad ones, like the historically bad ones, like uh, Fodis Bazakos and um, Armando Villarreal, and a few of those guys we haven't seen in a long time because they have cleaned house a little bit at pro. Uh, but I'm like, what? I don't know what this dude was thinking. <laughs> I really don't know what. And then, of course, the other part that really pissed me off. So. I was really actually the one part of the end of the game that I was really, really proud of the team for. They were conca-caffing the fuck out of the end of that game. Yeah. Delaying restarts. Rosero waiting for the freaking stretcher to come before all yeah. of a sudden he pops up. Like, just <laughs> it's beautiful. all the shit teams do to us all the time. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like, I still remember the Red Bulls doing this shit to us. I got so mad. I, I think the, I forget that freaking who was a striker for New York last year that did this a bunch at the end of that game and they, they when they beat us. Um, and it's so frustrating as a fan to like watch the other team do this. And I was so proud of them because we normally don't. We normally don't do this stuff very well at all. And then they actually gave them 10 minutes of stoppage time. And I'm like, this never happens, ever. Like, the only time this happened was in the World Cup when FIFA was like, hey, you want to delay restarts? Okay, fine. Here's your 13 minutes of stoppage time. <laughs> but MLS has never done this. And if this, if this happened to sporting, if sporting was up, and this happened to the or sporting was down a goal trying to get it and it was happening to them it would have been like four minutes of stoppage time i know it because i've seen it too many times yeah yeah and when they threw the 10 up i was just like you guys just hate us man i just just <laughs> just say it just say it Ugh, it was frustrating uh, and then obviously yeah 99th minute they get the equalizer it's just yeah. big kick in the nuts it really was um oh so the people I really want to talk about for the most part are Houston's players because there were some that were I so Nelson Quinones, their left winger, that guy's good. He's scary good. Um he he got free a couple times. I was like, oof. I yeah, mean he, he got free he, and he got free against Jake Davis, who's been playing you know pretty well defensively and um and so um he he skinned he skinned Davis a few times. If and, he trues up and, his shot a little bit, uh-huh, he's gonna be yeah. he's gonna be really, yeah. really good MLS winger. Yeah. I mean it, you know yeah, I mean, I, I would, uh, um, you know, just compare that uh, you know, to our our wingers, and I think Shalloway had a okay game, pretty quiet, but, but I mean, Russell didn't do anything. You know, the entire right side of our attack it was just like non-existent um, outside of Jake Davis, which is not the way it should be. I mean, Eric Tommy, Tommy had did, another it, had another honestly, garbage dude, game, it was, dude. It was What's a stinker, man. Him? I don't yeah. know. It just he was just not a factor at He's all. He's just not any... finding the game right now, and it's no. really frustrating um, because Kinda's finding it fairly regularly. Yeah, and Tommy is just not finding it, and I, I I don't know. I'm starting to wonder if he's a poor fit for this full midfield. Um, you know, I, we've, I think we've he's... heard we've heard comments that Felipe Gutierrez might st- jump straight into the starting lineup, like yeah. that that they're that high on him, um, and it's kind of crazy when. The guy you can get as a season-ending injury replacement on 170, 165k a cap room. Now, granted, it's probably more than that because it's only half the half the the annual charge, but still is going to immediately step in over your 1.5 million dollar quote unquote DP. Like, yeah, that's a, that's not great. No, something something's wrong with him, man. Because we know he's a better player than this. So. Something, something ain't working. I mean, he, he, uh, I, I think a, a huge, 
you know, a huge part of it is that he just has not been able to establish uh, a rapport with his teammates. I mean, if you look at his ta- at his passing map from uh, from the weekend, I mean, he's he's barely completing passes to the uh, the other players in the forward line, and um, and you know, uh, the one I'm looking at right now shows him not completing any to uh, Alan Polito, which I don't know if it's true, but but I mean, should it, he it, play? Should he give Polito some breather minutes at center forward, maybe? Would he be better I, in that position? I mean, I I kind of think so. I think he'd be better as like a second forward personally. But yes, I mean, the, well, that, we're not going to play that, a second know, forward. Right. I was going to so. say that doesn't fit with the the way that the team goes. But absolutely, I mean, um, I think like me personally, that's where I would slot him in. Or honestly, even um, even at even at right wing, um, you know, if if Johnny Russell can't get uh, back on track, he was pretty poor there when he was there that game. I mean, maybe we need he needs more time to to acclimate. To I'm that just position. thinking of look. So so he's he's an excellent dribbler. He he progresses the ball by dribbling. He's not afraid to take people on. If he takes people on at the wing position, uh, it's a it's a safer position to lose the ball than uh, in other places in the field. And and it decreases the importance of his ability to pass. And like I'm just thinking I, he's just, like. I'm just thinking two things. One, the couple times I've we've seen him play as a center forward, it was in late in games and whatnot. Yeah, he's done he a was, good job. He, he did a good job. He combined mm-hmm. really well with his his forward teammates, which is something that you need from that position. And Polito brings, and he's he's perfectly capable of dropping into the midfield, taking the ball in the half turn, and driving a goal, yeah. which is another thing that Polito does a lot. So yeah. I just I, I'm I'm thinking of like what are his high quality skills. And yeah. how do we get them into a place where they can be used more effectively? Because I just don't see them getting. And I think part of the problem too is this team is so left-handed, right? Yeah. That it's difficult for him to find the game when the ball is always on the left side of the field and he's not there. You know. Yep. And so mm-hmm. he's he's then left to try to run into space and hope the ball comes over to him. Um, and whereas Johnny, when he's over there, he's looking for the long switch to take a fullback one V one, which is a different, which is a different philosophy. So I'm just, I don't know. I, I, I like, I like, I like that, that right side at eight being more like Voltaire, more like Hernandez where they're the late arriving box runner. And that's not really Tommy's forte. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think, I think that that's the problem with the game model is that's what that role's meant to do. Yeah. And that's just not really what he's most adept at. So I think that that's some that's part of the reason why he's put up some stinkers. But the other part is, is I just think he's struggled to um, be a progressive creator, which is what we need out of the left side. Yeah. And then but he's not a off ball runner, which is what we need from the right side. Right. So like neither one of those are real good fits for him. I think we've talked about this earlier this year. He'd he'd be great playing for like Jesse Marsh like that. That'd be like a perfect like just just countering all the time running at the defense. Like that's what he needs to be doing. Um, Maybe it's just not. I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see if they figure figure that out. The last thing I want to hit. Um, is Kendall McIntosh. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of done with this dude. I'm sorry. Like, I've been trying to be nice. and Well, not I don't know how nice I've been. I'm maybe not that nice. But um, I've been trying to be, like, po- politically uh, correct about it, saying, you know, hey, if they're the same – if he and Pulse Camp are the same level goalkeeper, why wouldn't you play the guy who can develop and get better? They're not even the same level goalkeeper. Let's just be honest. They're not. He, he is – like, if you look at his stats – 
he is like dead fucking last in the league at several key goalkeeping stats. Okay. Um, the first, the, the, the main one that, that, that frustrates me. And because we've had this conversation with the U S men's national team is his shot stopping is poor. It's very poor. He is the worst shot stopper in MLS this season. And it, I'll tell you how it's defined in FB ref, but the whole concept is post shot XG minus goals allowed per game. So mm-hmm. you're taking post shot XG for those of you who don't, don't know what that is. It's, it's there. It's a, it's a model for XG for goalkeepers, right? So after the shot is struck, what is the likelihood a goalkeeper would save it from that position, from that distance, et cetera, goal, you know, where the goalkeepers position, whatnot. It's the same as XG. How likely is a goal to go in? It's, how likely is it a goalkeeper to save it? So his post-shot XG is 12 and a half. He's given up 16 goals. So he's minus 0.3 per game in his post-shot XG versus goals allowed. That is dead last in MLS. So he's yep. the worst shot stopper in the league. Yeah. And Pulse he can't... does not he does not he does not generally save um, shots that are difficult to stop. Mm-mm. And right? in fact, so, he gives poor rebounds on shots that are not he did difficult it, to he stop. He did it two or three times uh, against Houston. Yes. I mean, the guy cannot not give up a rebound. And he, he almost gave up He almost gave up a goal on one of them. Right. Uh, it, just, it just happened that, that you know. Uh, I'm not think, getting think, it. Like, am I missing something? Because I understand Pulse Camp, well, according, I think, to the staff. He gave up four goals to Seattle. That was the last time we saw him. But that team was terrible back then. Yeah. Like, if you look, if you compare, um, so like Tim Melia's numbers when he came back, uh, at, right after that Seattle game was when Melia came back. And Melia, as we know, is an elite shot stopper. He's an extremely high quality shot stopper. Um, Pulse Camp's numbers were even. Like, he was, um, he, he, his goals allowed versus non penalty XG was flat. Melia is obviously beyond that. We, we, we expect Melia to be a better shot stopper than these two guys. But Pulse Camp was playing with a much worse back line and no defensive midfielder. Much worse. He has not, he has not had the opportunity to play with, you know, Alan Polito and, uh, and Gadi Kinda. Or, and, yeah, like and Rodoya, for that matter. And, and the quality of the shots that he's faced are significantly higher than what McIntosh has faced. And yeah. yet he's actually got a better post-shot XG versus goals allowed performance. And so I'm just like, uh, the other thing too is like a lot of people talk about McIntosh's passing or his possession metrics. It's not that great. It's not really that good. Like all the underlying numbers say that Pulse Camp is at least equal to, if not better than him in a lot. Yeah. Pulse Camp's long passing is actually better than McIntosh's. He actually has a higher long pass percentage completion by like 10 points. Yeah. Like it, it's nothing about the advanced metrics related to goalkeeping leads you to believe anything other than Kendall McIntosh is the third best goalkeeper on this team. And I just, I, I don't get it. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm flabbergasted by it at this point because it seems to be getting worse. Like that's my <laughs> main concern. Like it's not improving. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the problem too is that, um, is that it's not just the, the the metrics that are are that way it's the actual um it's the actual like goals right like um uh, and clean sheets i mean uh i think he had his first clean sheet of the season out of 12 matches last week it's nuts like pulse camp has two yeah 
in half as many matches. Yeah. (laughs) With a much worse backline. Yeah. I just don't understand. Like, I... Anyway, I, I don't understand either. I mean, uh, you know, we just know that, you know, a lot of times uh, coaches have their guys and and Peter Vermes is like that, like more than <laughs> more than most coaches. Right. If you're yeah, if you're one of the guys, then you're one of the guys. And in other uh, words, over the age of 28. Yes. Well, I mean, sure. You know, that's absolutely part of it. And uh, and it sucks. But I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't know, man. I, I, I think you and I are uh, uh, our our feeling on this is really well established. And we've talked about it a lot. And it, there's there's like you said i mean there it's 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 impossible to think of <laughs> of of reasons other than just gut feeling like you know right. coach's gut feeling why one player is starting over the other it's it's, it's i think that's that, the problem uh, that you and i so have more than anything <laughs> like i i understand that that peter vermees's anecdotal evidence is a lot better than mine is right like i understand yeah, he, he sees him in practice blah blah he, blah all that stuff well and he's also been a professional coach for 15 years and professional player for 20 years prior to that his game knowledge is i will wholeheartedly agree is better than mine <laughs> okay but we, we so hope. i can i can understand that his anecdotal evidence is better than mine my issue is is i fucking hate relying on anecdotal evidence i just think yeah. it's a i think it's i think it's a uh, just a, a a cavemanish way to to manage a team in modern in modern sports. Like I just I think that you're just completely missing out on the ability to utilize data to your advantage. We have so much fucking data out here. They have and they have tons of it that we don't have access to from all the trackers and from all of the uh, the sports performance data and the heart rates and their uh, their recovery and all that other nonsense that I know they use effectively because Joey Hardy is insane about his way about how he manages the sports science part of things for this team. So I know that they understand it, but it just it feels just it just feels a little yeah just caveman it's just a little old like just there's not they they need a fresh look on some of this stuff in my opinion. Yeah. Or at least if they're looking at it hard, it doesn't feel like they are. Yeah. I mean, I think that that was, you know, one of the things that I had mentioned to you is that in 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 the process of looking, um, doing some research for this podcast today and, uh, you know, looking through some of the uh, advanced metrics, I mean, um, the, the, this is just not a good team. And um, I mean, and they're I not bad. The, they're they're average. Yeah, so that's it. That's it. And I think that I think that um, they were so bad at the beginning of the season that when you know we had some players that brought us back to average, it maybe gave us a and myself included a, a false sense of hope. And I thought, okay, you know, and and I had you know uh, an interaction with uh, one of our listeners, uh, Cam, on uh, on the Discord, and you know, I was I was making the point that I thought that you know that that the, the team had. Um, um, a uh, an attack that had the uh, potential to be elite and um you know I, I think that that people have been saying that myself included for you know for a while and it's just not it's not borne out right i mean um uh the team 
the team gets lots and lots and lots of shots, like one of, the, if not the, the most amount of shots in in the entire MLS, but they are towards the bottom of, of XG, which means they're not creating poly, quality shots. So it doesn't matter how many shots you're creating. If you're not creating shots that go in the back of the net, it doesn't matter. And, well, and, and you can get a head fake on shot creating actions too at that point because you're taking so many shots. Your SCAs look really good because... Sure. You're just taking high volume of them, right? So yeah. it looks like there's a lot of other things happening that are positive that are creating shots when they're creating poor quality shots. So it's it's you gotta you gotta kind of look at all of it at the same time. And I sure. and I think that the, the point is that it's just not working, right? I mean, uh, you know, we thought that maybe once you know all the all the the starters um, got back that that it would magically get better and it just hasn't you know it's just it's just not working and um you know uh, to our earlier point there's there was only uh there's only really two two things that the team is really good at and that is uh progressing the ball either through dribbling or or passing they're they're really good at both of those at at, at progressing the ball that's like elite like the best in the in the league and they're really really great at counter pressing and that's really kind of where it stops right that and in almost every other thing you can imagine almost every other metric almost every any other um thing that happens on the soccer field they are either average or below average and um and you can't i mean you can't make a good team out of just uh uh, progression and counter pressing. Those are, I think, those are two components of of great teams. But uh, it's it's uh, it's not the whole picture, and uh, that's why they struggle all, and and they're not consistent. Yeah, that that's the big issue is the consistency part of it. Um, we we this this podcast has been a little bit bipolar over the last month because it's sort of this very up and down yeah. um, performances from 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 the team that we're trying to understand why and. Um, I think it just has to do with the fact that they're maybe just not that good. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're, I mean, that, that's, maybe, that's it. Well, I mean, they, when may you... be, they may be the seventh, eighth, ninth best team in the conference, and they get into that playoff position, and you know, maybe they win yeah. one of those games and get into the, the, the three-game play, three playoff after that or not. I don't know. But if you're asking me if I have any expectations of this team to go deep in the playoffs, I have zero. Zero yeah. whatsoever. Now, I mean... <laughs> That we're already hearing the um, the the PR speak about Felipe Gutierrez, so we'll have to see how that goes. <laughs> I, you and I were kind of um, kind of eh about this decision when it happened. I I talked myself into it when I did do some analysis of kind of where he, how he played in, in Colorado last year. That was really what I was looking for because um, I don't really care what he was doing in Chile in the Chilean Premier Division, right? No. I, I don't know that I I really was too worried about that. But I did take a look at his um, overall numbers as far as midfield ball progression and defensive actions, and not necessarily his percentiles versus similar players in MLS, but more what the actual numbers were. And his underlying numbers, like as an aggregate per game, are fairly similar to his 2019 season. Obviously, the goals and assists, not so much. But all of the other advanced metrics, his his progressive carries, his his progressive passes... Um, interceptions, blocks, all the all the kind of things that you need from a central midfielder in this system, we're pretty closely in line at the aggregate. Um, now, his percentile wasn't near as high because players have gotten better in this league since he was last in it. So he's not quite 
the elite player he was in 2019 because he was an elite central midfielder in 2019. Um, but it's still positive, and it's significantly more positive, and this is the point that I got from Sperry when he was talking about it that I do agree with. It's significantly more positive than Felipe Hernandez or Roger Espinosa. So yeah. if you consider the depth of this midfield, which we have highlighted as a problem, if this allows Remy Voltaire to spell some games and then be available to sub in as a backup defensive midfielder because he's not gassed, I do agree with that that philosophy. And I think the other thing that a lot of people were discussing when the signing happened was, well, we really need a winger more than we need a central midfielder. Yeah. And while I absolutely agree with that, no central midfielder is available for the money that they got. Or no, no, excuse me, no, no useful winger is available for the money that they got Felipe Gutierrez for. Um, good wingers cost 600, 700 grand a year, um, which is what we're paying Kyrie Shelton. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 but that, that is, if you want to get upset about the fact that they didn't have room to sign a substantive winger in this window and do it, that is why that doesn't exist. Felipe Gutierrez is not the reason why they didn't sign a winger. It's because they didn't have the cap flexibility or the available salary spend to do it. And, um, I think in that circumstance, if you can get a player that can be integrated very quickly into a system that he knows um, is available at the money and does give you an upgrade at, say, like the fourth central midfield position, I, I, I understand the decision behind it. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> you know, because it's somebody who used to play for the team and um, who's being brought back, um, it's... I was very skeptical of it, and it was just like, oh, the band's back together, you know. And I saw on Twitter and Reddit, it was like, oh, why don't we just go, you know, dig up the the corpse of Seth Sinovic and and trot him out there? And I mean, um, and there's reasonable reasons for for, for folks yeah, to, be, to have that opinion. No, I mean, I was I, I was on that uh, I was on yeah. that train. I was I was uh, I was like. I Benny Felhaber, disappointed like, and, there, there and was skeptical. a lot of guys sure. that we that we brought back that were not yeah. useful signings, yeah. and they felt a lot like this. They were mid season mm -hmm. or beginning. They're just sort of this like throw something at the wall and see what yeah, happens. Feels, kinda... it, that's what, it feels like. It feels like grasping, right? It feels like grasping yeah. at straws because you know the stuff that you that you thought might work didn't work, and so you're trying. You're going to try and go with something tried and true that you knew worked at one time, and um, and so yeah, it feels if. You know, and there's still, honestly, for me, is an element of that. Right? I'm not completely on the other side, but uh, I think, you know, uh, Sperry kind of talked me into um, uh, being a little bit more supportive of of the move. And, you know, just in terms of, a, of an inexpensive, uh, high impact or, you know, uh, potentially, potentially high impact, high impact. Right, yeah, potentially exactly. high impact way to to um, to improve the squad. Uh, I, that's what you have to look at it uh, as, and I, I, as that, it's a good move, right? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, two things. Um, one, yeah, that uh, no no other opportunities are out there for this type of money that could have the level of impact that he could potentially have. Yeah. Second. Um, Gadi Kinda is still not a 90 minute guy. I know he went 90, uh, or did he come off right at the end of that game? Yeah, I can't remember where did he, come know, off he, late? he was I, struggling, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think um, maybe he came off at the very end. No, he didn't. He no, he didn't. 90. No, he no, he because he, he was he was playing, uh, wasn't he playing up top? He was playing center forward because yeah. Polito, Polito came off for Castellanos. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, I mean, he <laughs> Gotti's not really a ninety-minute play. I'm worried about. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Gutierrez starting his position on Wednesday. Yeah. To be completely honest, because Kenda is not a, a ninety every game guy yet, and so and we know that Gutierrez is good in that role. So I think that there's some opportunity for him, and he's been practicing apparently with the team for a while. They were just waiting on his transfer certificate and and whatnot to and the window to open to make it official. So. Um, and he will be available on Wednesday. He did get his transfer certificate in. So we'll have to see. I'm, I'm in wait and see mode. I think I said this on the Discord. I think, uh, you know, it's I think it's fair for, their, for people to have a raised eyebrow and a little bit of skepticism, given how these types of signings have gone in the past. Um, but I do think that he potentially offers something a little bit different than any of those players have. And mm-hmm. I think if the worst case scenario is he's the fourth best central midfielder on the team, that's okay. You know? Yeah. Um, so let, let's get into tactical corner real quick. Cause you mentioned the two things that this club is elite at, right? One of them mm-hmm. is ball progression, moving the ball forward. The other is counter pressing. Um, we're going to talk about counter pressing because as you mentioned on the discord, we have uh, a variety of different topics in there. And one of our listeners, uh, had suggested getting a little bit more into the details of why Sporting Kansas City is so good at counterpressing. What about their structures work? What about their personnel works? Um, I, I mentioned there, I was like, it's, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, they have some players that are just gifted at it, candidly. Uh, but part of it is their structure. Um, so without regurgitating all of the things we said about counterpressing and why it's used <laughs> um, in the last two years of this podcast, just remember counterpressing is... Uh, after a after a defensive transition moment, i.e., well, during a de- defensive transition moment, i.e., you have lost possession of the ball, counterpressing is immediately p- applying pressure to the ball to attempt to regain it as the opponent is attempting to move forward with it. Um, there's a couple really good reasons for it. One, obviously, you're regaining possession in a generally in a ad- advantageous part of the field. The second part is. The opponent is obviously transition is in their offensive transition pattern, which can create a whole lot of tilt and weight going uh, the opposite direction of where you want the ball to go. Meaning, if you can gain possession in that circumstance, that gravity has pushed them far enough forward that you can play behind them. It's it's a chaotic event, um, and and transition events are obviously the focus of most high level uh, soccer clubs these days, and. Uh, counterpressing is something that's been around. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but it's really kind of become in vogue in, it was like in Germany, right? And the kind of like to the two thousands where you started seeing a lot and a lot of German coaches use it. Gegenpressing, pressing as it's referred to. And it sort of translates to counterpressing is, is a primary, um, component of things that Jurgen Klopp has employed for a long time. Tuchel uses it quite a bit. Ralph Hasenhutl. There's a number of coaches that in Germany that use it. Um, but also Marcelo Bielsa, there, there, there's a number of, of different coaches out there that utilize counterpressing fairly heavily, um, but they do it in a couple different ways. So I'm going to talk about the two kind of key ways that you would look at counterpressing, and then I'll let Cody cook a little bit on like how this team uses it and, and why some of the players and the positioning they use make it so effective. So typically there's two, two kind of ways that you're going to counterpress. One of them is as soon as you lose possession, the player that lost possession is immediately pressing the ball and the players around him are man marking so that they're trying to not allow 
that player a passing outlet by marking the men that they might pass to. The other opportunity is to do zonal marking where you're standing in passing lanes and trying to incentivize the trying to not incentivize, but you're trying to predict where that player might try to pass to um, in it, while they are under pressure and stepping into that lane and getting an interception and then going at goal sometimes directly, sometimes not depending on what your um, automatisms and passing move or your, um, Positional play movements come off of that. Those are generally the two main styles. Um, most good teams don't employ just one. They use a mixture of them, and it's dependent on their rest defensive positioning. It's also dependent on their possession structure. Possession structure has a lot to do with how you counterpress. So um, typically, possession structures, you want them fairly wide. You want them to have a lot of space that allows your players to play in space and allows them to get the most ability to do stuff with the ball. Um, that's not always the best possession structure if you plan to counterpress a lot, because typically you want your players closer together so that they're able to collapse when the ball is lost. And so they can counterpress effectively and collapse straight to the ball and create a turnover. Um, I bring this up because I think, and this is my opinion, I may be completely off base. So Cody, you tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think part of the reason that sporting Kansas city tends to be so one-sided is because it allows them to have a number of players in one area of the field where if they lose possession, they are able to collapse to the ball fairly effectively. Yeah, I think that's a good way of, of looking at it. And you know, I think you're also, um, you're also putting one of your best counter-pressing uh, players, which, which would be Daniel Shallowy. You're putting him over there on the ball. And, uh, and you're also you know, moving a... Yeah, a, a, a um, uh, defensive left back up uh, generally and so you have that extra presence and then as we talked about last week you've also got you know Gotti Kinda or whoever is playing that left side at eight as well as uh, the center forward uh, able to kind of uh, drift over and and, um, and uh, cut off passing lanes um, which is uh, I mean that's you know other than the the the, per, the the person who loses the ball right everybody else is uh, is responsible for you know making sure that their that their cover shadow is where it should be and that they're uh, that they're pressing in a way that is is uh, cutting off passing lanes um, to other players especially to the players where you know that, that are most dangerous with the ball. What would you say makes Shallowy such a good counterpresser? Because I agree with you. I think he's elite at it. Like, I, but I, I would say that I struggle to effectively describe why he's so good, other than I just see that he's really good. Oh man, I um, it is kind of hard to describe. Just like um, just off the top of my head. Um, so so he he is not a chaos merchant like Gadikinda is, right? Like he's he's a player who uh, has some more sort of graceful control about him. Um and 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 so that means that, you know, he is um he he always has a lot of balance. So when he loses the ball, he's never, you know, like, you know, careening, you know, down the line or or losing the ball and falling down and you know that doesn't happen as often with him. He's usually sort of in control of his body and um and is very quick 
to position himself. A lot of it is sort of a, a, a reflexive thing, right, where he's very quick once he loses the ball to put himself in a position um, that that allows him to apply the most effective pressure to the ball. I think also, frankly, like uh, when I think about him, his his um, you know his body shape and structure, I think, lend themselves like his his lankiness and his legginess. Um, he, he's able to really sort of like get his feet, his his legs in there, and 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 poke away balls. And he's just a you know he's a wiry tenacity dude, tenacity, he, tenacious he does, dude. He that's one of those things where yeah, you look at his physique and you think that yeah. he's not a very physical player. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is because he's so tall, he's generally a lot bigger. Yeah than the fullback that he's crashing to and generally that guy's down and he's trying to like get in the and shall is able to sort of cover over top of him it really limits the vision of that fullback at that point to make an outlet effectively and also yeah. if they don't have the ball right on their feet and a complete understanding of where they're going to pass to immediately it's going to be difficult with yeah. a guy coming at you like that and i think that's the whole point of counter pressure right if yep. you apply it quickly enough and directly enough You've given the opponent no time to think about what they're doing next. And now yep. they're reacting. And candidly, most fullbacks or central defenders aren't the best quick passers on earth. That's just yep. not really, especially in MLS, right? And um, so if you're able to really pressure that person effectively uh, very quickly, um, it, it can work. I, I, shall we, I, like I said, I think... I see just your, I think your point about balance is really good because he, he is able to, then his feet are underneath him when he needs yeah. to, when he needs to explode forward, he's got his feet underneath him and it's very, it's, it can be a very quick movement because counter pressure being quick is so important. Um, I think of what like uh, the different players doing it differently. Um, Felipe Hernandez is a very aggressive, like, but he takes a very he takes an angular run in a lot of mm-hmm. circumstances, and like like you said, creates a cover shadow behind him that allows him to he drives into a person from the side, so that um, as we talked about last week, you know the whole point of pressure is to push the pass into a place the opponent doesn't want to send it. Mm-hmm. So he, I think that's one thing I love about how Hernandez does it is he does that curling arc and he goes into them at a way that he forces the pass to one place. Yeah. So his teammate, if he's doing this from the right side at eight and he's making that curling run into him, his teammate knows the ball can only go to one place and it's to the it's 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 to the it's to the left side of the line yeah. for them right to our right side of the line and then your fullback can come up. And, and pressure the back of that next person very quickly. So counter pressure isn't always just about winning that initial duel. No. It's also it's also about creating a sequence of counter pressuring events yep. that put the whole team under pressure and allow and create a turnover. Well, that's one of the things that made vintage Roger Espinosa so effective. Is oh, that he's so good at he, this. He's so he, good at it, man. You know what? One of his one of his I think just the the qualities about him that I always loved is he his his closing speed, and so he he had an ability to lay off of players and bait. Um, uh, um, you know, bait the the other team to passing into that player, and then he would just like uh, like run straight at the player, full at full full steam ahead, and and um, collide with the player, win the ball, sometimes foul, sometimes not, but. Um, uh, that that sort of closing speed, I think, was was really important for him. That just explosiveness and able to cover a short amount of ground um, in a in a very very uh, quick amount of time and take people um, by surprise. 
Well, and there's just something about the way that Roger closes that is yeah. intimidating. Terrifying. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you're, you're just like, holy shit, what do I yeah. do? Look at this fucking yeah. guy. So, so that's, but, but I mean, honestly, that's, that's part of effective counterpressing is, uh, you know, you're, even though, um, even though your um, the other team has the ball, um, you your your whole um, your whole goal is to make them scramble, right? To make them feel the pressure, to make them uh, to, to to ratchet it up and to to uh, do everything you can to make them um, make a mistake um, in their attacking in their defensive third, right? I mean that's the that's the ideal situation, um, and sometimes it's not a mistake there. Sometimes it's a mistake further up the field if you you know if you if you give a pass or um, um, that doesn't have the right weight or whatnot, um, but. You know, I think that that one of the one of the important things, you know, in sort of talking about Rogers' uh, strengths, just for for the whole team, is proximity, right? And um, and so when when we talk about sort of rest defense and 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 players being in the appropriate position, like proximity is really important. You have to be close enough um, um, to uh, to a player to to ap- apply that pressure um, without you know without them blowing by you or without you fouling them and so it's kind of a delicate balance in in order to get it right i think that's a really good point just the one of the things that if you're listening to this and going like how do i watch what a counterpressing structure looks like it, it goes into the stuff i talked about a couple of weeks ago um the article in the athletic about how to watch soccer and not to watch the ball. This is a key component of not watching the ball. You want to watch the front five players for sporting and see how they position themselves in relation to their opponents. Because not only are they trying to run into space to allow for an available pass, but they're also trying to maintain a certain distance so that if a transition event occurs, they're able to close that player down effectively. So there's there's just this there's, there is this really delicate dance that's happening about where they are located in relation to both their opponents for offensive purposes, but also for counter pressing and uh, defensive purposes. I couldn't agree more, and I I don't know that I have a, a whole uh, lot to add on that point. Um, I I think that um, when we think about the just the the way that the squad has been built, uh, it's been built like specifically with counter pressing in mind. I mean, I think that that is um, that is something that is um, uh, one of the things that Eric Tommy is really good at is uh, is pressing in the attacking third. He's really good at winning the ball and making tackles in that uh, in that area. Um, I think that um, I think that uh, I think that Johnny Russell is like sufficient at it, um, but when but I don't know that I would consider him like um, like elite at it. Um, I think that uh, I think that you know in order to play center forward for this team, you have to be really good at it. And I think even even given his uh, his uh, offensive liabilities, that's why uh, we saw you know Kyrie Shelton play that position so much. Mm-hmm. Um, is because he 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 was good at pressing, right? He he's a very willing runner. He will run all. He's like the perfect but, Vermes guy, right? Yeah, He'll run all I, day long. Yeah, but the other thing is, is, I don't want it to just be like, oh, he's the guy who runs a lot. He he actually is very good right. about the, the angles Absolutely. he takes, Absolutely. and how how he presses players. Um, unfortunately, I think his size gets him in trouble because he'll come in hard on somebody and get called for yeah. fouls a lot because yeah. because I just don't think referees know how to handle it, handle his his 
the amount of inertia that he's uh, he's going to have because of his speed yep. and his size. But um, it, it's not just that he runs; it's that he's actually yeah, very agree. intentional yeah. and smart about how he, he takes angles uh, towards players in those circumstances. Um, so yeah, I, I, that that is obviously a key component of why Kyrie Shelton's on this team. It's uh, the unfortunate part is um, figuring out how to turn that action into positivity in the you know immediately attacking the goal. Yeah. And I think that that's where you know a lot of a lot of fans have some frustration and you know fair enough um but i i, I think that i hope that that was a, a at least a, a kind of quick overview on the the way that counter pressing is used and why sporting so good at it i think it's again it's their structure along with the personnel they have personnel that are that are exceptional at it combined with a very good understanding of what how they want to set themselves up so that they can counter press because there's going to be they're going to lose the ball and so they need to know what to do when that when that happens. I, I wanted to just add that um, that you know we think of of positional play as being almost like synonymous with counter pressing, and uh, and it is to an extent. And the reason why is because of like that um, the position the, the the positions players find themselves in um, under positional play lend themselves very well to um, to uh, counter pressing. Even when you go back to their you know attacking responsibilities, you know, in the in Sporting Kansas City's system, the the main uh, the main you know creative drive uh i think probably comes from the 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 wingers and maybe the maybe the eights to an extent to an extent as well but definitely the ring the wingers um and uh and so you know the wingers are expected to you know take on uh take on fullbacks and and get the ball into the box and um you know the 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 nice thing about that is um if you if you just like imagine where the wingers are 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 doing that is um, if if the ball is lost in that area, um, they're you effectively man marking the guy. Already, I mean, I right? mean for real, like they're yeah. they're man marking the guy. They have the sideline on one side and the uh, and the end line on the other, and um, and and then you have your center forward who's already there in the box, and so it's really easy to box to box um, the the other team in and uh, counter press uh, really effectively, and and um, you know even and this happens a lot. This is something that Sporting does a lot: is they force that pass to the goalkeeper, and most MLS goalkeepers are not really adept at dealing with it, and they'll just kick it out of bounds, and that's a win for that's a win, right? I mean, that's a counterpressing win for sure because we regain possession immediately, and that's the whole point: is just to to gain regain possession as soon as you can after losing it. So this leads to a, a, a major, you know, issue that I have with this team is that. They're so effective counterpressing, and they're so effective at counterpressing in the opponent's uh, attacking de- or defensive third and, and their attacking third that they create a ton of corner kicks out of counterpressing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except they fucking suck at corner yeah, kicks. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is, I mean, I think we talked about this like last year, right? I mean, I mean, they, <laughs> it kind of just, when you think about it logically, it makes sense. You're going to earn lots of corners. We were talking about this on on Twitter, and you know there are some uh, there are some gentlemen who are you know uh, betting using that sort of tendency of sporting Kansas City, and and um, the you know the whole idea is uh, you're going to create you're going to get lots of corner kicks if you're down there, and so why not just make your team more more effective at dealing with those and. Um, I mean, I guess it's easier said than done because, you know, I mean, they're not they're not great at it. Yeah. 
anyway. And they've had then they've had lots of time to kind of try and be great at it. So we we beat that drum plenty of times on this. Podcast, in the in the old days, in the old days, like you know, five six years ago, I used to uh, I used to you know joke that they should just go ahead and sign Andy Carroll if they're gonna if they're just gonna have <laughs> corner kicks and crosses twenty twenty five crosses a game. I mean, what you know, might as well. What the hell. Peter Crouch, you know, gets yeah. Like, <laughs> why not? Let's do it, man. Let's do Andy it. Eddie Edwards would be very Al- happy. <laughs> I want some Alan Gordon action over here, man. Just, That's right. Just, I just want a big old, big old nasty dude just thumping in headers. All right. Okay. Well, uh, that, hopefully that was a little bit of an overview on uh, Sporting Kansas City's effective use of counterpressing. Um, I, I again, it's it's an elite skill that they have and. I would keep an eye on it against uh, RSL because it's going to be really important against RSL. You yeah. do not want to let them get on the break. And so. I think you know the the Discord's a perfect place to bring things like uh, like that up. And and you know if if anybody has things that they want us to talk about, um, I think that you know for the most part we're we're kind of happy to do that, uh, especially if they're you know related specifically to to sporting uh, Kansas mm-hmm. City and and tactics because that's the kind of stuff that we really enjoy talking about. Yeah, and gives us ideas. Sometimes I'm searching for tactical corner update ideas, so I'm happy to to uh, crowdsource those a little bit if that, if if possible. Yeah. All right, let's roll into potpourri, just like your favorite Jeopardy category. This is where we discuss one topic, or in this case, like three topics that could be anything in and around the Sporting <laughs> Kansas City MLS soccer sphere. U.S. Men's National Team gets a late, late, late. <laughs> win against Canada in the Gold Cup quarterfinals in Cincinnati. Uh, penalty kick shootout. Matt Turner does his thing. Um, we'll get to the penalty kicks here in a second. I, um, I, I thought this game was, re- was a lot like the Houston game. It was really boring for the first half or so. <laughs> and then, um, you know, some of the stuff started to kick off. Um, I'm... Look, I understand that this is like a B or a C plus team, and you know it's a bunch of MLS and Liga MX players, and you know as a result you're going to have some, you know, spotty performances. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why Alex Centejas continues to play wing for this team. Do you get it? Because nope. I I just don't like. I understand he's a good player for Club America, but this guy has been garbage, like garbage. I, I heard yeah. someone mention that he's really good defensively. Do you see that? No, I okay. I I don't have any idea why he's. I I have no idea. Well, he was no straight. He, as as. Uh, but I mean, as Vincent Scuffed would say, he was straight ass in this game. Like he was garbage. To, to that point, you know, I mean. I don't. I don't know that that Gressel was any better playing right wing. He was. He was pretty. No, uh, he was. He was pretty. He terrible. was pretty bad. You know. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy who can do one thing, and that's cross the ball, and um, and everything else he sucks at. Right. And we, you know, the we've we've talked before about how how the the. Uh, the United States men's team plays a similar uh, kind of formation and style uh, to Sporting Kansas City, and 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 again, you're expecting you know some some creativity and um, and um, you know drive out of your wingers, and they did not have it. They and, don't have them. Um, and yeah. and the thing is, Jordan Morris is sort of down in the mud right now. He came on, he yeah. was garbage too. And I'm yeah, like, what has a, happened to Jordan Morris? I, I've never been a big Jordan himself. Morris fan, but he does. He looks like he looks like. Uh, 
just uh <laughs> you're right yeah. a shell of his formal self I and mean, that's you know two wrecked knees will do that to you you know it's uh it's well really but sad. i mean he was good for the first couple months of this season and then it's just gone sideways i mean ever since yeah. he got four goals against sporty <laughs> yeah we put the like... we put the hex on him <laughs> <laughs> man he's been terrible since then and he was really yeah. bad in this game um you know who not who, the winger that was not bad was Cade Cowell. He would he he took that game. He came in and was did he did Cade Cowell things, which which is fun. Like he's a fun player. I, 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 I agree. Well, the thing that I wrote in the in the in the notes is like they when they play with this lineup, they have no guys that are that dude. Right. Yeah. They have mm-hmm. none of them that are like taking the game and trying to do something with it. Yep. You don't have that problem with Cade Cowell. Cade Cowell mm-hmm. will come in and try shit. He's always he's, happy to. He's 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 of the Clint Dempsey uh, philosophy, which is I'm gonna try shit. He's not at Clint Dempsey's level when it comes to finishing those chances <laughs> no. yet, but he does try shit. And he's 19. Yeah. Like, come on, yeah. let him let him cook a little bit. It's the Gold Cup. Who gives a shit? Nobody's watching these games anyway. So like yeah. like let let them have fun with it. Um, he I just always guy, he he always seems like 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 Adama Troyori to me, right? Where he's just this big, physical, intimidating guy, and he's really faster than everybody else and stronger than everybody else, and he just uses that. And you, you know, he does these exciting things, but there's just like no end product at all. And I think that's just I'm sure he's frustrated. Lot, yeah. and, uh, there's not a lot uh, of nuance to Cade Cowell's game. No, it's just no. You're right, you're right. Which you know might be make him the most American player ever. So. Uh, <laughs> We I'm always okay say, what that. if our best athletes played soccer? Well, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is, he is that. I, he's, uh, I, I don't know. He's got opportunities, I think, to improve some of his finishing capabilities and whatnot. He had he, a pretty nice, he had a pretty nice chip finish against yeah. Trinidad and Tobago. I, I think that there, there's, um, there's something in there, but it's not fully formed yet. And he's he needs 19. to, he needs to go to Europe sooner than later. I mean, he needs yeah, to go. Yeah, I, I think so I too. Think and... Um. Did you see Matt Turner dropping forty-yard dimes to fullbacks just because he could? It was <laughs> wild, player, dude. He, he his is, I, his, uh, his passing has improved, um, even just as a as a bench wildly, player. Wildly, uh, wildly he's, improved. Yeah, he's, he's yeah really like good. they there was a lot of stories coming out of Arsenal's uh, preseason camp or whatever that he would uh, that he was. You know, just being there for a couple of weeks, it improved a lot, and you're kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. And this sounds like a whole lot of whatever. Um, but he was. He was spraying those forty yarders directly to the fullbacks and starting attacks, and yeah. that is something that even Zach Steffen wasn't that consistently successful at. Yeah. So, like, if he's got that in his bag too, along with being an elite, like an elite shot stopper, like this guy is a wildly good shot stopper. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, I, there was no pressure. It's like Canada wasn't doing anything uh, until until Jacob Schaffelberg came on, which. Jesus Christ, like, this shows you everything you need to know about what's going on with this team when it gets shredded by Jacob Schaffelberg. Yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, um, it, it, he was their Kate Cowell. <laughs> it's like well, Kate so, Cowell versus but, Jacob Schaffelberg. I mean, but but to our earlier point about Remy Voltaire, I mean, that was that was uh, very late in the game, and, and Jesus Ferreira had already played the whole game at – at uh, at center forward and and he doesn't he plays center forward more like Alan Polito where he's dropping in all the time and so I mean the dude already put on like tons and tons of miles on his legs and then you know he's expected to to guard you know fresh players coming in uh, from a midfield position and it's just I mean you know he's a good player um, but he's not that good maybe and it's a lot of, it's just right. a lot of, to ask no, of I mean him. yeah the, bo- both teams were absolutely smoked. Even yeah. at the ninety-minute mark. So, and so then, this is also one of those things. Time. 
You know, speaking of speaking of Ferreira and and also Vasquez, who you know probably should have started because he was in Cincinnati and you know he's had a he's had a pretty good goal club. Although you know he's also a much uh, more physical center forward that right. could have worn their so, center backs so, down a little bit. So so here's the problem. It's the same problem we run into to with, with Sporting Kansas City. Is that it's just it's uh, there's no like flexibility, right? It's just so rigid, and you have to like go out in a in a single pivot for. Uh, a four-three-three instead of a four-two-three-one, which frankly probably would have suited the the um, um, the the talent, I think a little bit uh, a little bit better if you run a double pivot with Ferreira in front and then Vasquez up top. I mean, and that puts that puts less uh, uh, onus on. Uh, on so you'd you'd have pulled Mihailovic off and put and man Mihailovic. I mean, people have said that they thought he was okay. Man, I thought he was terrible. Like, he was terrible. pretty bad in this game. He's been okay in other games. He okay, was not I mean, he as I didn't see it in this game. He was like like non-existent bad. And, well, not only non-existent, but just not very positive. And then yeah. with a with a quite a few whoopsies. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, and, and in fairness, like none of these guys are perfect. Like Lucio no. had his fair share of loose touches and bad giveaways. But he also had eight shots and was very yeah. effective and it, like very he was crashing the box and especially after Cowell came on, that like that additional um, um, pressure that was put on the left side allowed Busio allowed Busio to roam into the right yeah, half space. He was, he was in there and a he, lot. He was in the right half space a lot, and then he and um, Brian Reynolds started to finally do some stuff, and then yeah. uh, as well as um, uh, who came on for uh, Gressel at right wing. Was that Morris? I guess it Ro- was Morris. Ro- it was Morris, yeah. And yeah. I thought that, came out, uh, Roldan came out and played right that, back, yeah. and they kind of went to a back three and was like ring, wing backy at that point. But, I thought um, Reynolds. I thought Reynolds was was terrible too. Was, honestly, I don't don't see anonymous, it at all. which yeah. was weird because he had been very effective uh, in the previous games. But I think that goes to what a lot of people's assessment of him was: is like, okay, he's very active in the attack and doing a lot of cool shit against Caribbean teams with a population right. of fifty thousand. What happens when he actually plays an organized team? Yeah. And we saw what happened. And uh, I, he, he just, yeah, he was sort of just not in this game at all. I don't know. Like, their other option is DeAndre Yedlin. So I just, I don't know yeah, that if Yedlin I, plays, there's a significant difference no, there. There's not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, he, he was definitely not uh, very effective in this one. But I did want to call out, before we get into the penalties, because I think the whole penalty situation was awesome and hilarious and great at the same time. Um, uh, Busio was pretty good especially in the last hour um which i thought was interesting that he was able to go 120 and still have his legs at the end which shows something about like his game and his style um i mean he he has he didn't play very much in the last six months so there is that well but he did play he played 90 four days ago well i guess no what was it a whole week ago i guess it was a week prior that he played 90 um, but still, he he was very he he had he had good legs and yeah. was still very effective late in this match when a lot of players were not. So um, I thought that he really grew into the game after being sort of hit or miss for the first hour or so. Yeah, um, I but I, I think the thing about and I, this is why I made the point that like none of these guys are like that dude guys. As much as I like Lucio, he's not that dude. But what no, he not. is, what he is, is a really good connector of that dudes. Yeah. So if he's got some of that dudes around him, he will find them and he will get them into good places or he will run off them because he knows all of their gravity is going to pull the defense and he'll be wide open behind him. So yep. like he's got some stuff that I like. Now, is he someone I think should be called into the September camp? No, but I think he has had 
a better than expected performance in this Gold Cup, especially because I don't think prior to Alan Senor getting injured that he was going to play this much. So he's taken advantage, I think, of his opportunities, even if, you know, candidly, he's eighth on the central midfielder yeah. depth chart, probably. Everybody keeps talking about how, like, you know, how much more physical he is. I don't know that he's, like, I don't know that he's that much more physical. I mean, he's, he, he's not a 15-year-old <laughs> anymore. He looks like that's, a 21-year-old version of I think of that's himself. really it, right? It's just, a, it's just a little bit older, but it's not like he's jacked and, like, knocking guys over. He's, he's just, definitely he's never more mature. Like, yeah. that's the thing I think about it. He, he's more mature, and he doesn't, the, the game doesn't seem like too much for him. He doesn't yeah. look like he's, he's just trying to make the pass he's supposed to make. You know what I mean? he's he's playing soccer as opposed to doing soccer you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. i think that that is the big the the big bonus that he's gotten out of playing in italy um so you know he's not he's he's not he's not trying too hard you know what i mean he's just playing i agree um which which is good we both love him and i hope that he starts to get more playing time and uh and finds a, a lot of success because he you know i don't know he's just I, I really enjoyed watching him when he played for Sporting Kansas City, and he seems like just a nice, you know, guy. And uh, I wish nothing but the, but the best for him. Yeah, he's a he's just a he's a heady soccer player. I just I yeah. like his style. It's Me not too. flashy. There's not yeah. a whole lot of flash to it, but it's fun. And yeah. so anyway, I know a lot of a lot of especially Adam Bell's are not big fans of him, but whatever, I don't care. No, but nobody is. I mean, honestly, I mean. Uh, they, I think CONCACAF put him in, like, their team of the match day or something. Yeah. Like, so he's there, but, like, all the podcasts are just shitting on the guy. And, yeah. uh, well, know. I mean, he's, okay, I'm he's, sorry. he's not – I mean, some of those guys have such specific opinions of him that yeah. they, they only and, – and in fairness, we watch the game with Bucio-colored glasses, so we are Absolutely. probably the opposite side of this, of this argument as well. Yep. And I, I will wholeheartedly admit that. So yep. I'm not going to get after anybody for – you know, they can have their opinions. Um, speaking of soccer teams that can't create meaningful chances from the run of play, the U S women's national team played Wales <laughs> this weekend <laughs> and had it not been for Trinity Rodman <laughs> and, Sophia might not Smith. A, and Sophia Smith might not have really done much of anything in this game. Um, Joe Lowry wrote an article on this for backfield. I, I'm really, I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that this is some long con that Vlaco is playing. Like I really do, but I'm I'm concerned that he doesn't have that level of um, deviousness to him. <laughs> no, they, you know, they've never really played uh, 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 exciting attacking soccer um, since he's been their coach. And uh, I mean, I don't know. They when you have so many like just elite players. Um, I think that you should at least have fun, right? At least play, at least play a game that's that's fun. And you know, they're not even playing sort of that, you know, a, a, a France World Cup winning, uh, you know, counterattacking defensive right. style. They're yeah, just like, like if you, if you yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna be really sort of boring and staid, at least yeah. send your freaking amazing young twenty year old freaking forwards out on counterattacks. Yeah. And let them no, just. That's not, we know, that's not what's we going know on. what Sophia Smith can do when she's yeah, out open in space. <laughs> yeah, we We've do. seen it as Casey Current. Casey Current fans are very familiar with Sophia no. Smith's ability to absolutely eviscerate you in space. Just to, just to dribble with through the, everybody, with the, like with the, like with the sweetest smile on her face. Yeah. She looks so wholesome, and then uh-huh. she just absolutely murders you. Um, yeah, she's so an like, assassin. 
they have the players for this. And obviously Mallory Pugh going down sucks, but it's not like Trudy Rodman and Alyssa Thompson and some of these other young players they have aren't capable of doing some of those things. I don't think they're at the level of Mallory Pugh. I will wholeheartedly agree that they're not, but they are up there and they're perfectly capable of being used in this way. And they're just not. The thing that I was left um, kind of considering is, is Rose Lavelle going to have to play every minute of the world cup? Because she's the only creative player they have, it feels like. I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, I mean well, they have another really creative player, but she plays left back. So, you know, yeah, we've got well. that problem, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so here we are again, right, with another sort of dag- dogmatic approach to, uh, you know, to team shape and, and, and playing system. And, you know, is, it, is, is playing a single pivot system the best thing for this team? Probably not. Um, because you, you're 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 putting Julie Ertz can't play ninety every game. You're playing you're putting all your eggs into that basket, and it's a mistake in my opinion. You know, and um, I <laughs> I don't know. It's the just... problem is they don't have the center backs to play in a back three either. So yeah. like their their so their their options get a little bit tight because the Becky Sauerbrunn getting hurt probably really limited their ability to do yeah. much different than what they're doing. Um, they could do a four, two, three, one, but I'm not, I don't know that that, that's not a substantive change. I don't think that would make much difference to how this team, I mean, do they have a real 10? I mean, no, probably not other than Rose and, you know, and the left back, obviously. Crystal Dunn. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and who's never going to play midfield. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, yeah. It, hmm, I don't know. We'll have to see. I, I just, I hope I'm not, yeah, you know, you all can blame it on me if they suck because I'll be at all the games. So there you go. There's my home. Man, you are just, that's... you are just working one in like, <laughs> that's like the fourth or fifth one. Dude, I have not been on a, I have not been on a real vacation in like five years. Oh, uh, my wife and I have been planning this since the last Women's World Cup. So we're very much excited to be going yeah. and I have secured tickets for all the matches and I have all of our stuff set up. So we are very much looking forward to it. And That's we will awesome. be there long enough, assuming they get out of group, to see them play in Australia as well. So Amazing. Hopefully they don't suck. We'll have to see. <laughs> um, last thing in the potpourri. Sounds like the official Messi announcement's happening on Sunday. So um, the stuff I've read in The Athletic and just all the rumors going around is that Messi has arrived in wonderful Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> and um, they are they're they're doing the final signatures this week, and then they're going to announce. There's like some sort of announcement party happening in in Miami or in Fort Lauderdale at Drive Prink Stadium, um, something along those lines on Sunday. And apparently, they're trying to work a deal where they can like break in during halftime of the Gold Cup final to do it as well <laughs> to like do some right. messy stuff. Um, okay, all right, whatever. I mean, you know, listen. This is a huge deal. This is a huge, huge, huge deal. We covered this several weeks ago when the when he when Messi originally made the announcement he was coming to Miami. I don't know that the average uh, that the average MLS fan that understands how big of a deal this is. Like this is giant. Um, it's so big that they've they've given him a completely clean slate for the team because that team is terrible. That team has they they, they yeah. are so well, bad. Well, they're getting the band and, back together. They're right, and the, and they're just like twenty twelve Barcelona back a, together. They're, they're somehow the pull, 
they're somehow pulling off a mid-season roster purge and rebuild, and uh, it's it's. Uh, well, no, they had been. I mean, into. okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Push yeah, back I know. I'm be. I'm exact. I'm exaggerating. I'm gonna, Drew, come on. I'm gonna well actually you just a little bit. They they <laughs> have been they have been planning for this. Like they yeah. they really did set up their roster in a way Absolutely. that they could sign Messi and then make some moves around right. him if they needed to. They are gonna have to move on from Pizarro, but I mean, whatever. No, um, they were going to do that. They were going to do that anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I think that they've been preparing themselves for this and they made substantive trades and sales out that allowed them all the allocation money they needed to offset the penalty they yep. had to pay for cheating the roster rules a couple of years ago. So um, I think that they they legitimately have the assets to be able to pull this off within MLS rules. Now, whether this is the final straw in the current iteration of the roster rules to allow other teams to effectively compete. That's another conversation. I mean, there was a report uh, of the whole thing with um, Franco Ibarra at Atlanta, where he yeah. ended up having to get traded to Toronto he's, completely he's against silly. his will because of how shittily they Atlanta managed their U22 roster spots. There's some stuff that this league needs to look at because this is, this kind of fucked up what they're doing to some players now because yeah. of the way that the roster rules are set. And, I think it could limit their ability of bringing some young players in when they start hearing these stories. And I'm like, well, when I sign with another team, I don't have to worry about potentially being traded in the middle of the season because my team wanted to sign somebody else. You know what I mean? Um, You know, I can choose where I go go out on loan to. I don't just get told I got to move to Canada and play for the worst team in the league. So I think that they they need to do some work here. And hopefully some of this stuff happening gets the competition committee guys thinking about how well, the they, they need to they need to look at it also in the context of of uh, of the Saudi leagues you know I mean that's uh, Saudi has kind of come in and uh, and they've kind of legitimate up, competitor uh, they've sure. upset the apple cart and you know there are there are high level players that won't be coming to MLS because they've gone to that league and so um, that's something that definitely I think needs to be looked at yeah, I mean, I won't get into the sports washing aspect of it or any of that, but I think from a business competitive standpoint, it's definitely a a an issue for MLS, yeah. especially given that their business model up until this point was attracting some of these players when they got into mm-hmm. their 30s and were, you know, willing to make this move and get a decent salary that they wouldn't get in a top 5 league. Um, yep. now the Saudi league is blowing that out of the water and paying a lot more money. Um for these players and you know a lot of them are willing to go i yeah. I, I mean i'm not gonna tell a, a professional player what to do with their own compensation i have my own thoughts about all of the aspects of that league and what it's doing but um it, it from a pure business perspective mls has to be aware of it and they have to be yeah. thinking about then what is their future model which probably is young players and moving them up right and bringing in tiago almadas right and how, it's hard to attract Tiago Almadas over and over again when the same team that signed him also just shipped a guy off out of nowhere because they can't manage their roster effectively. So yep. that that stuff probably needs a look for sure. Very true. All right. One thing to look for, let's preview the RSL game tomorrow night. Um, obviously, the U.S. men's national team also plays Panama at the same time. I'm not going to preview that game. They're happening at the same time. Hopefully, we'll be able to catch some updates while while the games are going on. I think U.S. men start an hour earlier, maybe 630. Yeah, that's correct. So we'll have at least an idea at kickoff how that game's going. RSL, um, 
this team has gotten scary in the front five. Yep. Like really scary. Really um, scary. They're running kind of a box four four two um with two tens. And um with Chicho Arango now up there, they they had been having to, you know, use Danny Masofsky and use like uh, Pablo Ruiz and a different couple a few different players there. Now they have Ruiz, Jefferson Savarino, Demir Krylock, and Chicho Arango all attacking at the same time. Also, um, also Diego Luna. Let's not forget. Yeah, Diego Luna ex- as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they've actually got Ruiz playing like in a double pivot or sometimes a single yep. pivot. With Ojeda. And, yeah, with Ojeda and dude. I mean, they just got a lot of really yeah. fun attacking players on their team now. Yep. And now and they're, and they're scary and they're good. They they're, they're good. on a. They're, they they absolutely lost the boat raced and... to Orlando yesterday yeah. or yesterday on Saturday, um, and Chicho scored in that game. They they vastly overperformed their underlying numbers, but they still they have players that can do that to you. Yeah. And um, in a one game sample, you don't really care about underlying numbers; you just want to win. And um, yeah, so it's a it's a concerning one for sure. The one thing they, I they will haven't say, lost a game. They haven't lost a game since June first. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, and they're against, kind of on a run like Sporting Galaxy. was. Yeah, yep. they, and if you look at like their overall numbers, it looks like they're kind of average because they're like kind of same number of goals as goals allowed. But a lot of those goals have given up were in the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. They got four nothing to St. Louis and four nothing to LAFC and a few other matches like that. So they they um, they have been playing very well lately, and they have really good players. The one thing is, is even during all of those matches, they do sometimes give up a lot of chances to their opponents because they're so front heavy. So their their defense is on and off, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, very much like Sporting Kansas City in this regard. So this thing could be kind of an up and down match, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm. I think it's I think it's unlikely that it's going to be an up and down match. It's going to be like two hot degrees. So yeah. yeah. And and as as much as RSL does play at altitude, they don't play ninety five percent humidity. So no. um, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they do with this road trip, and with Vermees doing as much as he could to save legs for this one, maybe that will help. Playing at home, obviously, home advan- home field advantage is huge in MLS. So we'll have to be hopeful that that's the case. But I'm telling you, this is this is gonna be a tough team to play for sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little scared. Honestly, I'm a little worried about tomorrow. But mm-hmm. uh, I am but too. We'll that, that's that's honestly what upset me the most about not holding on to the Houston win because yeah. I knew this game was coming and mm-hmm. this was going to be a really tough one. Um, Rubio Vasquez is going to be the center, the the center ref for this one. I did a little research. I'm going to start trying to do research on referees if I have it before we record. <laughs> um, the only other Sporting Kansas City game that he's been the center for this year was the 4-1 victory versus Portland, but he did hand out three yellows to Sporting in that one. And um, according to who scored, he's one of the highest refs in the league of handing out fouls per tackle. So he's oh, he gives great. out a foul of. Uh, he gives he gives out a he gives out four fouls per five tackles. So um, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing well, is sporting, sporting doesn't, doesn't really foul very much. Yeah, they, they don't, don't really tackle, tackle. so they don't really we're good to go there. <laughs> but he did call 15 fouls on sporting in that match. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> I don't know what any of this data means. It was it's a one game sample size, so who knows? But um, he's definitely not on my um, uh, grumpy referee list. But um, again, we've only seen him once this year, and it was in a four one win. So I probably wasn't paying real close attention. 
that's all I got. All Cody, right. predictions? Uh, I predict it's going to be miserable. It's going to be hot. It's going to be so <laughs> hot. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> I actually, I, I, uh, I think uh, for, for other reasons, I don't think I'm going to the game, but uh, I, I, uh, I know already that I've probably made the right choice because um, it's just going to be one of those just disgusting days. And thankfully, we haven't had very many of them this year, but yeah. uh, but this will be one of them. And, uh, you know, I think that, um, I think that, uh, as ever, um, you know, I, especially given how hot it's going to be, I think you know, looking at how um, Salt Lake sets up, and uh, if they if they set up uh, deep uh, to counter, uh, I think it's going to be probably a pretty long game for us, and because uh, we haven't really shown you know that we can that we can uh, reliably break down uh, at that sort of bunkered uh, defense, and we haven't really shown that we can um, that we can score off of uh, set pieces consistently. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I mean, if, if I were, if I were Real Salt Lake, that's the way I would set up is just to, 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 you know, limit and try to steal, a, a goal or two on the break. Cause you've got the players to do it. And, uh, um, so that, that's, you know, that's what concerns me, frankly. So Cody's Mr. T, the prediction is pain. Uh, a lot of it, and uh, <laughs> I guess that would. <laughs> what a wonderful way to end the podcast. I'm sorry, man. I, I'm I I uh, I'm just uh, very pessimistic uh, about the team right now. I'm I'm sorry. I have to admit it, but I mean, it is uh, that is that is the case. And and looking, you know, and of course, you know, since since I say that and I'm say that I'm worried about uh, Salt Lake, will come out and, and destroy them because that's what happens in MLS. But MLS is uh, so unpredictable, I'm, man. Uh, I, I mean, I think there's reasons to be be uh, concerned about this yeah. match for sure. Yeah. Um, I will be quite intrigued to see what the starting lineup is and whether Felipe Gutierrez is in it. Um, yeah. and, and, what his, and, and what his effectiveness uh, also, is. Yeah, yeah Radia yeah, is a doctor injury. I don't know. They won't tell us the extent of no. it. Um, it was clear. So I never noticed this in the, um, in the previous match. Jeez, who did we beat at home? I, my memory is so terrible. Vancouver. Vancouver. And so they did the behind the shield of that match. Um, they released it, you know, middle of last week, mm-hmm. and they showed the halftime thing. And Radia was like, he had he had his like shorts all up, and he had like um, um, ice and stuff on him. So he was hurt then, and that's yeah. why Tommy came on for him at halftime. We thought it was like a play and sub and going yep. going after it. No, this was Radia got hurt, and that's why he came out. So. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the level of, of well, concern and, and of that he injury was, he is. He was uh, listed as questionable over the weekend, but he didn't. Uh, he didn't even. Dress, he didn't make the so. trip. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. We'll see. I, I, I yeah. I'd be surprised to expect much there, but we'll we'll, we'll have to see what. Happens. Uh, and so and so then 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 the question then becomes: Does if if Gutierrez is good to go, does he play the six or does Voltaire play the six? Um, and I would imagine I mean, it would be Voltaire, honestly. I, I think it's Voltaire just because he has the most familiarity with that yeah. role with this team. Mm-hmm. Um, Gutierrez played as a six for the Chilean national team when they were really good, when they won Copa America and did all that stuff. So, like, he he has uh, familiarity with that role, but he never played it in sporting. I don't think yeah. he ever played that role once. So maybe once or twice in, like, yeah, weird maybe, sub maybe positions or, or twice, something. Yeah. But it wasn't, like, ever in, 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 intentional. 
that he yeah. that he was in that role. So I'd be surprised to see it, um, especially for a guy they just signed. I mean, uh, as much as he knows the system and whatnot, uh, Voltaire has played that role so much over the last two. The, I just know how this coaching staff operates. There's no yeah, way they're going to make that, you're, that wild, you're right. that wild you're right. choice. You're right. That's a fairly aggressive choice, and we just don't see them ever doing things like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, and having, well, and having having Gutierrez's first first action uh, uh, as a start, I think would be maybe pushing it too. And yeah. So I look for him to come on as a substitute. Well, then who's playing? Who's starting in the midfield? Do you think Kinda's going to start in this game? Yeah, Kinda and Voltaire, or Kinda, Kinda, Kinda Voltaire. Kinda just and, went a uh, hundred minutes in Houston on Saturday. Hey man, I think he'll start. I don't know. Okay, we'll see. I, I don't. <laughs> we'll, his, yeah, we'll see. His fitness is not what I would call ideal right now. <laughs> Very but, true. Well, Very true. Okay, we'll have to see. We'll have maybe, to see maybe, when that lineup maybe we'll comes get out. A, uh, maybe we'll get an Espinosa start. Like you know what times. the best part is? Is none of y'all can tweet at me when I'm wrong on Saturday when the lineup comes. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'm Drew. He's Cody. We will talk to y'all next week. <laughs> see ya.